Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show is brought to you by Chess.com. And our guest today is Dr. Kevin Ban. Dr. Kevin Ban is a board-certified emergency medicine physician with more than two decades of clinical experience and currently serves as the chief medical officer of Walgreens. Dr. Kevin Ban, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to talk to you. I know you are home, working probably there as I am. I hope everybody in your house as well and all staying healthy during this pandemic time that we're all facing. Well, thank you for that, Paul. Uh, Yes, we have certainly found our rhythm. (laughs) Uh, I have two children in high school, uh, a junior and a freshman, and and they're back both in school, so that's Mm -hmm. good. And we've kind of got back into the pandemic routine here, but but, uh, so far, all good. Thank you. Good. Hope the truth is same for your family. Yes. Well, thank you very much for that, too. Yep, all's well. Well, good. Well, let's jump in and talk about some of these healthcare issues surrounding the pandemic. I think, you know, we, we just are all eager for more and more information. New information seems to come out daily from a variety of sources. With so many sources of information, how do we know who, what, when to trust with some essential health services that we that we really need? During these times, right, Paul. I'll tell you, it really it can be confusing. There's so much information out there right now; it's difficult often to discern, you know, what is good information uh, from information that that really doesn't serve me. Um, and so, I tend to be a big big advocate for people going out and getting information. So, rather than having it pushed to you, let's say through some type of social media, and, and you can choose you know, your flavor, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or any other, instead of going out and having that pushed to you, I really encourage people to go out and get information from trusted sources. I mean, that's exactly what I do, right? So I, to a certain extent, my team and I have the exact same issue in front of us, which is how are we going to think about this new piece of information and how can we communicate most important, correct features of it. So, so, you know, what we do is we lean hard into FDA, CDC. Um, I had an academic career in Boston at Harvard Medical School and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. So I'm lucky to know some of the experts in this space. And so I go to those people such that all of that information, which I really consider to be cutting edge, you'll find, for example, on the Walgreens site, uh, but but again, I wouldn't limit myself to CDC, FDA, or Walgreens. Most people uh, have a nearby university that they trust. And my recommendation is that they go to those types of sites because then whatever type of issue they're looking for, they'll get credible information. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I do think that's on people's minds. In my research of you, I, I learned of your residency um, as an ER uh, uh, physician. And I wonder what you learned during that time. The the ER has probably some unique special pressures on it that that probably gave you a sense as to even what to do during these times when emergency rooms are kind of that first point of of relief. Tell us a little bit about how you developed some of the skills that you have now as a result of working in the ER. Were there really two things that, that come to mind, Paul, when, when you ask me that question. Um, the first is maybe uh, in preparation for uh, leading the clinical aspects uh, for Walgreens through the pandemic, uh, and that's around decision-making. Uh, and I think what I learned in emergency medicine 
is that the best decision is the right decision. The second best decision is the wrong decision. And the only intolerable decision uh, is no decision. Um, and so just in terms of leadership, you know, we are constantly faced with situations that are tremendous, tremendously ambiguous where we don't have all the data we'd like, and yet we have to make a decision. Uh, if that decision is right, that's great. If not, we'll fix it. And that should largely characterize the way that we've gone through. But to not make a decision really prevents the organization from, from moving forward. The second way I think about that, Paul, is really just what I learned over 20 years in the emergency department. And that is that, you know, it's better to be curious than judgmental. Again, I, I, I'd love to be able to say that's my quote. Uh, but that's Walt Whitman's quote. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, in, in emergency medicine, you're constantly faced with people who've made decisions in their lives that you may not have made. Uh, and, and the end result of that is they end up in the emergency department. But in those moments, it's best to be curious and not judgmental. And that means it's really best to embrace that person and to do everything you can to help see them through. And I think that this is largely analogous to what's happening in the country um, what I say is that for a guy like me, you know, the decision to be vaccinated, for example, uh, was an event. The moment I became eligible, I wanted to be vaccinated. But for many Americans, it's a process. And my preference is to stay close to those people, uh, to want to, you know, to, to meet those people where they are. I don't always know what is motivating their hesitancy. But once you're curious and you try to find out, well, then you really have a chance to have a good conversation and maybe help them feel more comfortable about being vaccinated. So that is something I learned in emergency medicine, and it, and it certainly has served me well. During the extended pandemic and, and the breakthrough variants, we're, we're seeing an awful lot of information come, come at us. And we kind of talked a little bit about that. But I think one of the next waves of information that we're seeing right now is that flu season is approaching. I think people are a bit confused as to a direction. I know that your own pharmacy company, Walgreens, as well as other pharmacies will be offering the flu shots. But even if we're vaccinated for COVID, are we supposed to get a flu shot too? That might seem rather obvious, but I I'm not sure if it is. And so maybe talk to us about that and maybe tell us what the critical differences are between the flu and COVID-19. Right. So, yes, this is an important point for people to understand, and that is that um, both COVID and the flu are preventable, and I'd like to speak more cleanly to how we can prevent them, but they are different viruses. And, Paul, the best way to think about this might be, um, you know, the, analogous might be they're both uh, like cars, okay? They're not bicycles. Uh, they're not motorcycles. They're cars. But you have different types of cars, right? You might have a Ford, you might have a Chevrolet. Okay, so they're different types of, of cars. I don't know if this kind of works. These are both respiratory illnesses and they are preventable. Um, let me start with flu. It's, it's a really interesting case study. And that is that last year, this time, we had a lot of people who were, you know, following the rules. Uh, those are non pharmaceutical mitigation techniques, a really fancy way of saying that they were washing their hands, they were practicing social distancing, they were wearing masks, they were being careful uh, to not go 
in, in indoor areas where there were a lot of people. So those are sort of what are referred to as non-pharmaceutical um, mitigation techniques. And what we learned is it really works. People got their flu shots. In fact, the CDC reported that folks got their, their, uh, their flu shots at a rate unprecedented, unprecedented in the past. And they also were careful about the spread of virus through those techniques I mentioned. But what happened? We pretty much had an, a, a non-flu season last year. Let me give you an example of that. About every year, we expect there to be 200,000 documented cases of the flu. Now, that grossly underestimates how much flu is actually out there because not everyone gets flu tested. But on average, that's around the number we see. Last year, there were 2,000 documented cases. So because of prevention, people getting flu vaccinated and then you know, being careful about the rules, we saw that that resulted in really no flu season. Now, let's compare that to where we are this year. Well, already this year, there are public reports of there being more flu, flu cases than there were this time last year. Well, it's not too late. This is a great time to get your flu shot. Um, we actually have it uh, in our stores, and it's as simple as walking in and being vaccinated. And we can talk about getting your, your flu and your COVID shot together in a moment. Um, or you can go on to our website, and you can schedule an appointment. Um, so now is a great time to get that flu shot. And then when we're careful about not um, spreading the virus, again, with those techniques that I mentioned, uh, then we can be sure that not only are we not going to spread COVID, but we're not going to spread, spread flu. Now, I think the second question you asked me there was, um, can people be vaccinated for both? And the question is, without question, you can be. So, um, in fact, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to get uh, their flu shot, if they're eligible, their COVID shot, and really any other vaccine when they schedule online. Now, you don't have to schedule online. You can walk into the store and have this done. But if you prefer to schedule, you know, you, 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 can, you can really put it into your calendar. Then you can also, if you're, if you're scheduling for the flu, you'll have the opportunity to sign up also for a COVID vaccination or other vaccinations. And you can do that all at the same time to really make it easy. Are we getting closer then with this, especially with this combined approach, are we getting closer then to being able to vaccinate children for COVID? Because it would be, it would be a, a big step, I think, for our country to get children vaccinated and get the flu vaccination too. Well, right now, Pfizer has uh, an EUA approval uh, down to 12 years old. Um, and so children who are 12 years old and older can get a COVID vaccine. Now, there was some recent data that was put out again by Pfizer in the five to 11 year old age group. And directionally, that data looks very good. Now, that will go before the FDA and before the CDC for final recommendations around uh, allowing kids to be vaccinated between five and 11 years old. So just to be clear, right now, children five and 11 years old to 11 years old cannot be vaccinated with the COVID vaccine. Some recent data looks very good, but we still need an EUA for that to happen. And Paul, I can, I'll tell you what you can do, and that is you can get 
your child vaccinated. This is really important. Uh, the recommendation is that children from six months old all the way up through adults um, should all be vaccinated. And so while your child, um, if, if, if he or she falls into the 511-year-old age group, may not be able to get vaccinated for COVID, they certainly can get vaccinated for the flu and they should do that. We should really remember, Paul, that, that you know, flu, um, you know, impacts or infects about what we expect to be millions of people every year in the United States. Hundreds of thousands of people end up hospitalized and then tens of thousands of people lose their lives. And so with prevention, we can drive those numbers down. That's what we did last year. And uh, we should do everything we can to prevent disease. Hey, it's Paul. And I've got a quick mention from our sponsor today, chess.com. You know, many of us in our Not Old Better Show audience love games. And we've talked recently about playing video games and the value to our brains. According to Science Times, we'll put links to where you can find this information on our website. Again, according to Science Times, playing chess improves memory, enhances IQ, promotes creativity, and helps in recovery of a stroke or disability. This is all good stuff, but... We play to have fun, too. I play chess.com long distance with my son, Avery, who's very good. And we have a blast, at least Avery does, as he literally vanquishes me each time we play. But, you know, everyone is playing chess these days, especially on chess.com, whose number of players has grown five times since 2020. It's a fantastic game, and it's so great that so many people are playing it now. You can play for free and it is easy to play. And unlike other games that change all the time where you have to pay to win and defeat levels to progress, chess is simple to learn and not distracting. Improving your chess game is easy on chess.com. There are excellent instructional videos on chess.com and after you play a game, you can have the computer analyze your mistakes and recommend quick lessons to strengthen your skills. This is just this is just awesome. I personally have a diamond membership which gets me unlimited access to all of chess.com and its features, unlimited puzzles, unlimited lessons, unlimited game analysis and more and I, and I love it. Chess is becoming so popular that the Netflix show The Queen's Gambit recently won 11 Emmy Awards, including the top award for limited series. And The Queen's Gambit is a favorite of ours here in our home. I play chess for my phone as well as my desktop computer and my tablet on chess.com. If you're interested, you can find me there, just like Avery, plus lots of your friends and family and grandkids who are already playing on chess.com. Ready to improve your chess game? Head over to chess.com slash not old today to start playing. That's chess.com slash not old to start playing with your friends, family, grandkids, everyone. And start learning chess from the pros today. Thanks, everybody. We are with Kevin Ban. Dr. Kevin Ban is a board certified emergency medicine physician with more than two decades of clinical experience and currently serves as the chief medical officer at Walgreens. So Dr. Ban, let's talk a little bit about those that might be hesitant to get the vaccine. How do we sort through what's driving 
those people in terms of their unwillingness, perhaps? And I suppose, how do we listen to them and their concerns so that we're not just making these kind of blind assumptions, but that we can learn from them so that we're able to then get a higher percentage of the U.S. population vaccinated? It's a great question, Paul. Um, you know, I, I said earlier that for for many people, this, this ends up being a process and, and it's, it's not just a, an event. Uh, and so they need more time. Um, I, I think the, the best way to really think about this is that hesitancy is not one thing. Um, it, it really varies um, depending upon who you're talking to. And so, again, coming back to that quote I made earlier, it's better to be curious than judgmental. I think it, it's always helpful to really start with the person and where they are and how they're thinking about it. I think you'll be surprised. I have these, you can imagine, I have these conversations frequently and, and people, um, what, what prevents a person from being vaccinated varies greatly. Uh, sometimes it's misinformation. Sometimes it's that they don't trust, you know, the process. Um, sometimes they just need some good facts around what these vaccines can do and, and what we know about them based on the data now that hundreds of millions of people have been vaccinated. Um, other times it's as simple as, you know, they, they work on the front lines uh, in, in a, a role that doesn't allow them time to go and be vaccinated. And so, so again, I think it really is important to meet people where they are, lead with curiosity, and try to get a sense for what, what motivates their hesitancy. And then when you, when you have that conversation, it's usually much more productive than deciding a priori that, that you know why they're hesitant, you know why they've decided not to be vaccinated, which usually spirals into a less productive conversation. So, so in those moments, you know, I, I encourage people just to ask more questions up front and, you know, than, than deliver uh, your opinion and, and then help connect people with sources that they might find credible. Uh, I think, I think that's probably the best way to approach it. Now, it's it, it's one of the powers of Walgreens. I, I have to call out. We have people embedded in communities who know a lot about this virus. They know a lot about how the vaccines work, and and I think they're a great resource. and And so to have these trusted professionals, to have pharmacists embedded in communities that you can go in and talk to, is a real real benefit. Now, sometimes those folks might may seem busy to you, but I promise you that if, if you, you let them know that you're interested in having a conversation and you'd like to get better information, um, you know, the overwhelming majority of our team is here to help. And, and I've seen them do nothing than, other than to be just completely spectacular in terms of their ability to connect with people and to give them really good information. So I encourage people to really tap into that resource. I think with everything else that, that we're facing in society, technology is playing a more more and more present role in our lives. And certainly with regard to healthcare, whether it's telemedicine or video chats with health providers, technology advancing in healthcare is significant. I, I think there are probably some challenges here. I think particularly for my audience, many are tech savvy, but some are not. And so I wondered if you'd talk to us a little bit about how we kind of bridge that gap for you know, we want to be efficient. We want to use the technology, but we also need to listen, just as we were talking about momentarily ago, uh, to those that aren't quite there yet with understanding how to use the technology for their best 
options and alternatives in order to get the best access to healthcare right now? There is no question in my mind that technology and digital health will come out of the pandemic and, and it'll be one of the success stories um, that, that you know, we were able to leverage technology and now people feel more comfortable with technology, uh, whether it be uh, a digital app on their phone or a website that they went to and got services or even in telehealth. But, but I'm with you, Paul, it's not for everyone. And, you know, my take on it is that technology is really good at supporting and facilitating, maybe even scaling care to a certain extent. But ultimately, I really think of healthcare as being a human endeavor, and it comes down to a relationship uh, between a healthcare provider and a person and a patient. Um, and so, you know, I certainly think we ought to try to do as much as we can to embed digital, you know, health opportunities into what we're doing, but it can't be exclusively about digital health. Um, again, I'll come back to our pharmacists and community. You know, we'll, of course, we'll, we'll do everything we can to try to help people use technology. We have something called Fine Care, and Fine Care is an example of a platform that allows people to go and search for care in their area that they need. Um, but that doesn't work for everyone. So again, our, you know, I'll come back to those pharmacists who work in community. You know, we've tried to do everything that we can to remove barriers so people can come through our drive-ins and get the, the products that they need. We have curbside delivery. Uh, we'll even do same-day delivery at home. You know, so not everything has to happen on your smartphone or on your computer. We recognize that that doesn't work for everyone. And so what we're trying to do is to find the balance between, you know, those types of services, but also just the human service of people connecting. And so that, that's, that's largely been our point of view is that we really need to find the right balance between those two things. Some Somewhat of a hybrid approach, perhaps, where you're getting access, but you can use some of the convenient tools to maybe even accelerate uh, care in some instances. That's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, uh, for some people, you know, and again, you you kind of want to meet people where they are. There are some people who feel very comfortable um, using technology to access care, and then there are other people who don't. And so we're we're really looking at that entire continuum, and we're trying to figure out, okay, well, where do you land on that continuum, um, and how can we kind of meet you where you are? You are so that you get all of the services that you need. Now, whether you access that through technology or you want to do that in person in our stores, you know, that's really up to you. But we want to make sure that the choice is there. Without being too hysterical here, Dr. Ban, I wonder if you can tell us maybe where we currently stand uh, with the variants and, and where we stand with additional doses of vaccine to vaccinate uh, those uh, against the variants, the virus spreading? Do we need to be worried still at this point? You know, so the best way to think about the variants is, well, you know, I'll take a step back even, um, Paul, and and say that, number one, this is not a plot twist. This is exactly what we expect. I've said this throughout the entirety of the pandemic, and I'll continue to say it, which is, you know, viruses, um, they infect, they replicate, and then mutate. That is just biology. There is nothing that is new about that process 
for the coronavirus, for COVID-19. It just, it's just what they do. Now, um, so, so not scary. We understand that biology, um, and it's exactly what we expect. Now, how do we think about variants as a scientific community? Number one, there, re- there really are three categories. The first is a variant of interest. And then the second is a variant of concern. And then the third is a variant of severe consequence. And I think it's really interesting to think about that frame. So you might ask me, okay, Delta, where does Delta fit in into those three categories? And the truth is that Delta is a variant of concern. It does not make it into the category of severe consequence. And that is because while it's very contagious and it is extremely contagious, much more so than the earlier alpha variant was, it does not escape vaccine. We're still seeing all three vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J, doing a very good job of protecting against severe disease, hospitalization, and death, okay? Subsequently, because those vaccines don't escape Delta, it is a variant of concern. Now, you might say, well, then what fits into that third category, that most severe, which is a variant of severe consequence? And that would be a variant that would be not only contagious, but also would escape vaccine. And we haven't seen that yet. It's not 100% true. We've, there is a variant uh, called Mu, and it seemingly escapes vaccine, but it isn't nearly as contagious as the Delta variant. And subsequently, 99, you know, almost 0.9% of cases in the United States or, or isolates that we've tested uh, are of the Delta variant. So, so mu just is not nearly as contagious and therefore hasn't become predominant. The moment that occurs, and again, I'll go back to my initial statement, which is that, that viruses will infect, they will replicate, they will mutate. Uh, should there be a mutation in the future that, we, that is both more contagious than a Delta and also escapes vaccine, that's the moment you want to change the booster program such that you're covering for that variant. And luckily, the technologies that we have these days really allow for us to do that. So again, I just think of it as normal science. We are tracking it. And then when we have a severe variant, we'll, of course, want to protect ourselves through a booster that includes that variant. Well, Dr. Kevin Band, this has been very helpful. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about you, your role at Walgreens, and some of the information that you're referencing. But I wonder for a final question, if you just maybe take us out with this idea of where can our audience go to get the best information and, and what should our audience know in order to keep themselves safe, keep their families safe, be alert and be aware so that they... They're, they're doing their best to kind of stay on top of this, especially with regard to the it's the mu variant. Is that spelled M-U variant? Yes, they're using the Greek alphabet. But, it, but again, I don't want that in any way to be alarming uh-huh. to people. Uh, again, that, that was only by way yeah, of example. Yeah. This is not something that I'd be concerned about. Sure. Well, I think what you're really driving sure. into here, and I think yes. it's really been the challenge throughout the pandemic, is how do I differentiate between good information misinformation and disinformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're all looking for good information. Mm-hmm. You know, misinformation mm-hmm. is just bad information, but it, you know, it, it's not intended to mislead you. And of course, disinformation is information that is not only bad, but it's meant to mislead us. And, 
And I am just a big advocate of going to trusted sites that you know will give credible information. So let's dispense, let's stop allowing things to be pushed into our inboxes um, and let's go get the information. And then there again, I would recommend that people go to trusted sites, whether those be CDC, FDA. Hey, I think Walgreens puts out good information. I'm extremely biased here, but we work very hard to stay on the cutting edge of the science. And so you can go onto our website, you can go on our app and you can get information. Even better, you can go into our stores and talk to our pharmacists. And sometimes that human touch matters. Uh, but again, I'm encouraging people to be proactive, go out and get the information. Don't simply take it through, you know, a, a, an email that you got or a text that you got or a message that came across on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I, I really would encourage people to be proactive and go to trusted sites. Well, again, we we appreciate your information and and certainly want to make heed of some of these these websites that you're suggesting, and we appreciate all of the advice that you've given us. We wish you the best, you and your family. We'd love to have you back. I think as flu season is actively you know engaged, perhaps we can have you back and talk a little bit more about what you're doing and what uh, what's going on within the medical community. But Dr. Kevin Ban, thank you very much for your generous time. We wish you the very best. Uh, it's my pleasure, Paul, and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. My thanks to Dr. Kevin Ban for his generous time and preparation today. Of course, my thanks to Chess.com for sponsoring today's episode. Please check out Chess.com slash not old for chess instructions, excellent games to play, and you can even find me there too. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe. Get your flu shots and your booster shot for COVID. Recommend others do the same. And let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.